0: All right, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly... That's a, that's a lovely title, isn't it? That's, he's writing to Christians. You know, what, what if we started thinking of ourselves in that way? Therefore, holy brethren, holy brothers and sisters, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all of his house. Now, we're going to spend some time talking about Moses here today. So, um, this is a very important character to the Jewish readers. It's a very important character to us. Um, and the writer of Hebrews is comparing the two. And so, today's message is really entitled, Jesus is Better Than Moses. Um, but he says, first off, that Moses was faithful in all of his house. Verse 3, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. I don't know if you like to underline in your Bible, but that's the spot that you could underline today. More glory than Moses. Inasmuch as he who builds a house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Verse 5, and Moses indeed was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his house whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, that they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Everybody still with me? All right. Um, I'm going to go back and explain some of this. So if, you, if you're not quite understanding every word, that's all right. I want, I want you to get the whole feel for the entire letter. Chapter 4 says, therefore, in light of chapter 3, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Interesting, the gospel was preached to them, to those who came out of Egypt. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed, we do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day, he said it this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in another place, they shall not enter my rest. So, verse 6, Since therefore it remains that some must enter his rest, to those for whom it was first preached, they didn't enter in because of disobedience. Again, he designates another day, saying through David, Today. For such a long time as it has been said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. So there remains a rest for the people of God. I love that verse. Verse 9, there remains a rest for the people of God. Verse 10 says, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest... That's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all ways tempted, just as we are, but without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. I love that. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this amazing letter that has been passed down through the generations. Help us to see Jesus as we open it up today. Help us to see the living word. Help us to see the Son of God. Help us to see how much better he is, certainly than Moses, but better than anything in our current existence. Help us to run to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Help us to come and and into his presence and find mercy and grace to help in time of need. That's what we need right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, do, you ever, do, you ever, uh, do you ever have a memory of something, and that memory of something is much better than the actual experience of it? Um, one of my favorite things growing up was uh, McDonald's french fries. Anybody remember McDonald's French fries? McDonald's French fries, man, just the smell of that, that's thats the anointing right there. I mean, you smell that, and Jesus just comes into the room. It's amazing. You, like, McDonald's French fries, they never put too much salt on it. They ne- Like, it's always perfect. In fact, for me, a dinner uh, used to be, I would, and my wife just, you know, Vomits a little bit in her mouth when I tell her this, but I used to just for dinner, I would drive up to McDonald's, get a large or like a supersized fry and like a McFlurry. And that was, that was my dinner. Like it's filling, it's tasty, it's cheap. Come on, somebody, It's, it's my budget. Like that's how I can, that's, that's how I can roll. Well, I I, I I mean, just all my life, I love McDonald's fries. It's the best thing about McDonald's. I mean, it's clearly, hands down, there's nothing else on the menu as good as McDonald's fries. As soon as you talk about McDonald's, people would always say, oh, but the fries. Yeah, the fries. And um, I went through a time in my life when I wasn't really able to eat much McDonald's, and it was a very, very sad, very, very, very sad time in my life. Um, I was traveling with a minister, and um, he didn't like mcdonald's um so we ate a lot of ruth chris steakhouse we ate at you know yeah some nicer kind of upscale really nice restaurants and so i got used to that you know and uh, uh of course the ministry was paying for that on our trips and things like that so i didn't have to you know it was it was in my budget it was free that's my budget um and uh, it just it was one of the perks of the job you know i didn't get paid much but i i got fed well and um it was an it was, it was okay job. So that was for about two years that I, I, di- I went without, basically, without eating McDonald's. I, um, I still snuck in some pizza every now and then, though, you know, just so that, you know, uh, even though I was traveling a lot, they delivered to hotel rooms, and it's awesome. And so when I, when, I, when I quit the job and Roe and I were driving around the country looking for where God was going to lead us next, um, we were on a similar budget to what I was when I was single because um, we had saved up some money, but that was for later. So we were trying to live on, it was about 5 to $10 a day on food. That was basically our budget. And so we were really cutting corners, I and mean, we were stopping by. I mean, you stop by Walmart, and you get, you get a box of cereal, right, and, some, and so like some tortillas, and that's, you know, and, like, some of the jug of water. And that's lunch, breakfast, and then you're going to get a snack wrap for dinner from McDonald's, you know. And so I said, oh, no, no, I, I got this. I'm going to get a large fry. That's what gonna it's going It's $1.79, and uh, I got my large fry, and I ate it. This is about 2006, and um, it uh, exploded in my stomach. Like, it tasted as good as I remembered, but the after effects um, kept me in the restroom for a little little while. And I was like, what in the world? Like, I've been eating McDonald's fries all my life. Something has got to be off here. Like, I just had a bad day. Maybe it was something in the food. And so Roe, of course, is very much against um, fast food and especially uh, McDonald's. And she made fun of me. She says, well, that's what you get for eating McDonald's fries. I said, no, I've been eating this stuff all my life. It's never done this. So the next day, I was like, I'm getting some more McDonald's fries. I'm telling you, it's all good. And so I go get some fries, and the same thing happens. I mean, it's like, I was, it was, you know, yeah, it was quick. And swift judgment just happened. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I don't know what is going on. I, I guess, so I... I, I abstained from McDonald's fries for about a year, and then I tried again. Same thing happened, and I said, "That's it. I can't eat McDonald's fries anymore." And so it was a sad day. It was a it was a day of mourning when I when I folded up that that box, you know, and and put it in the trash for good. Um, and I just it was weird to me. I was like, "What in the world?" And I was talking to a friend of ours who who who's actually over, It's like a manager of like 25 McDonald's between San Marcos and San Antonio. And I was telling him, I was like, man, like I love McDonald's fries. And then like something happened, like the devil got into McDonald's and ruined the best thing about McDonald's. And and he said, no, 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 we changed the oil that we used to cook the fries in like 2005. We changed the oil um, to make it more healthy. And I said, well. Okay. And so I guess it's some kind of new oil that they're still using now. And he said the problem is that it hardens quicker. Like they can only they 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 like he said that when they make the fry they only have fifteen minutes before they can actually get them out, before they have to throw them away because they 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 get like rock, you know, they get solid. I said, that's what it's doing in my stomach, you know? I have like fifteen minutes before it gets out, you know, and it's hardening and this is not good. So, yeah. So, anyway, if any of you have had, experienced problems with McDonald's, that's why. They, they they switched to a more healthy oil. And um, I like the old stuff that just slid down well and just stayed there for a while, you know. But apparently it changed. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes your, your memory of something is much better than the reality of it. And I think that's kind of what uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. He's talking about... Somebody who, in the Jewish mind, was really the greatest memory. Like, the greatest memory that the Jewish people could possibly have would be the memory of the man Moses. And so when we talk about Moses, we have to understand that we're talking about not only a national hero, but also a religious um, icon for the Jewish people. And that's, that's really who the book of Hebrews is written to. The book of Hebrews, some say it was originally a sermon sermon. Um, which maybe is why it's my favorite book, because I'm a preacher. Uh, but the, it was written to Jews who had converted to Christianity, but after some time were kind of wavering in their faith, and they were thinking about, man, do we make a mistake by turning to Jesus? Did we make a mistake? And so the writer of Hebrews is going through everything that they would turn back to. Right? So th- some of their Jewish friends were saying, "Man, you're, you're you're you've really missed the boat. You've really missed it with this Jesus guy." I mean, do you remember how awesome Moses was? Do you remember what what happened with Moses? In fact, I was on a secular website just recently, and it was a it was an Israeli website, and I was reading the about us section, and in the about us the first reason why um this Israeli is uh website was was saying that Israel was so cool is that it said that we are the only nation that has ever had an encounter with God. And if you know the Old Testament, you know that Moses kind of spearheaded that encounter. Moses led the people of Israel up out of Egypt. He, he, he delivered them, so to speak, and, and led them on out into the wilderness. And it was in the wilderness that God came down and landed on a mountain. Like lightning and thundering and voices were all swirling around the mountain, and the people were scared. And Moses said, I'll go up and talk to God. And so Moses talked to God like a, like a guy talked to his friend. And God spoke to Moses, and Moses was the mediator. He was the guy that that, that went up to talk to God and then came down to talk to the people, to tell the people what God had said. And that's what God said. God said, I'm going to use you like a mouthpiece. I'm going to use you like a speaker. (laughs) Like like You're going to be like the the speaker in my sound system. I'm going to speak through you, and you will be like a God to them. You will be like God. You will will be the guy that when you talk, people listen because you're speaking on my behalf. And that's what... Moses was and so because of that Moses fame was like through the roof and so especially by this time because the longer people are dead the more nicely we remember them uh (laughs) come on somebody it's true you don't like to admit it but it's true um you know I mean really if you want to be famous just die young and then then all of a sudden everybody loves you and it's awesome and and uh, anyway, m- Moses has been dead for a long time. His fame is through the roof. The people of Israel are, are, are so proud of Moses. And not only the people of Israel, but uh, other uh, ancient texts also talk about Moses. Several of the Greeks uh, really revered Moses. Several of the Egyptian philosophers really revered Moses. In fact, in our own country, the founders of our country were so revered Moses that in 1776, after they... they, they, after they, they told the guys across the pond what they thought of them. Um, they decided to make a seal. Uh, and so they assigned a, a few guys to, to make a seal. And the first seal for the United States was, I have a picture of it to, to put up there, but the first seal of the United States uh, has a picture actually of Moses leading the people out of Egypt. And it says, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Uh, I like that statement. Kind of Texas to me, but um, you know, but but there is a picture of Moses. There's a picture of the of the fire that was leading them out, and there's a picture of the of of Pharaoh's army drowning in the sea. That's that's a Bible picture, and they they said this is a good symbol for us as a nation. In fact, uh, I think it was John Adams uh, who 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 wrote about. He was American's second president. And he stated that the reason why he relied on the laws of Moses over Greek philosophy when he was establishing the Constitution, he said, as much as I love and esteem and admire the Greeks, I believe the Hebrews have done more to enlighten the civilized world. Moses, in fact, did more than all of their legislators and philosophers. So Moses has present history and ancient history accumulated for himself, just this, 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 this pedestal that he's resting upon, and he is the founder of the Jewish religion. I mean, without Moses, you don't have Judaism. Without Moses, you don't even have Christianity. Moses is the one who wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Jo- Moses wrote those. Before Moses, there was no... Uh, written account of creation. Before Moses, there was no written account of Noah. Before Moses, before Moses, there was no written account of all the, the 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 Jacob and Abraham and Isaac and all the heroes of the faith that we know about. Moses is the one who, under the under the influence of the Holy Spirit, wrote about all of those things. Moses's birth was miraculous. Moses was uh, threatened at, from his very birth. When he was born, the the Pharaoh of Egypt had said, we're, "We we're going to kill all Jewish." males all Jewish males have to be thrown into the Nile and drown and and his mom saw him and the Bible says that she saw something special in him we don't know what that was but she saw something special in him so she she kept him for a few months in 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 her home until he got too loud and then she couldn't afford to keep him anymore so she put him in a basket and sent him down the Nile and and some of you know the story that the princess the Egyptian princess found Moses and said I'm going to raise this this this, this beautiful baby, and he was raised in Pharaoh's household. He was educated there, and at some point, he realized that he was actually a Jew, and that's when that's when God began calling him to rescue the Jewish people, and he, he, had, he, had, he had committed a little crime, and so he had run out to the wilderness, and God appears in a, in a burning bush, right? Like, the bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. It's just fires all over it. Like, you, you guys got to read the Bible. You got to get out sometimes because... <laughs> Like, you're looking at me like, what? Uh, Yeah, this is like, like, you know, you don't need to do drugs. Just read the Bible. It's awesome. It's crazy. Like, the bush is burning, and God's talking through it. And Moses is saying, he's talking to the bush. And so God, through the bush, tells Moses, I want you to go rescue the people. And so God sends him back to Egypt. And Moses performs some of the most amazing miracles that have ever been performed in all of human history. His very first miracle, by the way, he takes his stick and he touches, his first major miracle, he touches the Nile River, the one that he was supposed to have been drowned in. He touches the Nile River and it turns to blood, the entire Nile River. Um, turns to blood, and Pharaoh just says, eh. And so, anyway, there's this battle between Moses and Pharaoh, between God and the gods of of Egypt, and eventually God wins, and Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt. And this is the Moses that we're talking about. In fact, when Moses died, um, they never found his body. Uh, The Bible says that his body was hidden by God. And uh, just a little curious fact, in the book of Jude, uh, the devil actually has an argument with with, with an angel about the body of Moses. Like, he wants the body of Moses. It's kind of strange. Why would the devil want the body of Moses? But he wants the body of Moses. The body of Moses was never found. Some people believe it's because had his body been found, they would have worshipped it. Like, they would have put it in a shrine, and the people of Israel would have made the body of Moses their God. That's how much they respected him. Um, of course, we do see the body of Moses later on um, on the mountain when Jesus is transfigured uh, in the New Testament. There's the body of Moses standing next to him, and there's the body of Elijah, another guy whose body was taken before he died. Anyway, and they're both there, and some believe that Moses is going to come back to the earth, actually, and he's going to be one of the two witnesses on the streets of Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. So all of you um, uh, Revelation nuts, you can read about that. Uh, but Moses is an important character, both historically and historically presently and prophetically in the future. Moses is great. But what the scripture says here is that Jesus is better than Moses. Inasmuch as Jesus is the builder of the house, and Moses is just a servant in the house, Jesus is a son, Moses is just a servant. Moses was faithful, but Jesus is better. And while we're on the subject, Jesus didn't only build the house, but he built everything, is what scripture says, that God is the maker of everything. And this is our Jesus. And so the next, the next passage that I would like to look at is what, is what the writer of Hebrews collects from all of this. He says, he says therefore, uh, let us take heed. Uh, beware, brethren. He says in, in verse 12 of chapter 1, he says, beware, brethren, lest any of you have inside of you an evil heart of unbelief beware lest any of you have an evil heart of unbelief that's chapter 3 verse 12 beware he says the real danger here the real danger is that you have an evil heart and we would say yeah 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 evil heart and so we have a whole list of things that are evil right we have a whole list of things that are evil there's 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 punching people and slapping grandmothers and that's evil uh the evil actions, all whole list. We can tell you, okay, well, don't be evil. And you hear that a lot in church. Don't do bad things. And so, you know, this is true. We don't want to do bad things. We don't want to be evil. But what, what Scripture says is evil. Look at this. Beware lest any of you have an evil heart. Yeah, I don't want that. Of what? Of unbelief. That word belief is really important. That word belief means to trust in. What happened was people had moved their trust from God to Moses. And Moses is good. Moses is cool. Moses is great. Moses was faithful. And the scripture says that. Moses was a good guy. We're not saying Moses is bad. But the truth is, sometimes a good thing can get in the way of God, and you start trusting in Moses. You start trusting in that good thing. And what the scripture is saying is, that's evil. It's an evil heart that that would say, I don't think Jesus is quite enough. Jesus is good, but Moses is good too. I think I need both, and I need to hold on to. Unbelief, When you trust in or rest on something else, you come to rely on something else. You come to look to something else. That unbelief is evil. But what we are encouraged to do is to enter into rest. The entire chapter 4 is he's talking about rest. At the beginning of chapter 4, he says, "Therefore, Therefore, guys, there's a promise of God here. And it's a promise to enter into rest. That word rest is something that I think our culture doesn't really understand, like, at all. We run really, 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 really hard, and then we take what we call a vacation. <laughs> and really, we just are so wiped out on our vacation that we just sort of catch up enough sleep to be able to get back to work again and one run really, really, really hard. We don't really understand rest. And and, and and part of it is because we think rest has to do with activity. So if you're doing activity, you're not resting. But if you stop doing activity, then you're resting. But the scripture is actually different here. The The word rest doesn't, doesn't mean to stop doing stuff. Is he, God, God doesn't want us, okay, now everybody, pull out your lazy boys, kick back, relax. Jesus got this covered. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there's a rest, there's a promise of rest that you can enter into. And then he says, so therefore be diligent to enter into that rest, to enter into the rest of God. Be, be diligent. I don't know try hard to enter into rest. That sounds weird. How would you do that? Well, rest means to, like, like when you sit on something, you're resting, which means you're putting all of your weight on that. That's what he's talking about. He says you have to make sure to put your weight on Jesus because Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than religion. Jesus is better than the things that we tend to trust in. Rely on. But what often happens is we get things mixed up. We we we're born with a propensity, a natural human tendency is to rely on other things. is to rely on a good job, is to rely on money in the bank, is to rely on a relationship and a family, and all the things that, that, that is put in front of us that says, this is what will make us happy, this is what we need. And so, so we, 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 we kind of grow up in that, and that's why we live so unfulfilled. That's why we go from one thing to another, to another, to another, because there's, there's, a, there's a God-shaped hole that, that is not being filled by anything else. But the tricky, the dangerous thing is that you can even come to Christianity, you can come to God, you can come to somebody like Moses and say, yeah, give me the word of God. But we still trust in other things. We just think that God will now get us those other things. Well, come on, somebody. There's a story in the book of John where Jesus feeds 5,000 men. And I don't have time to read the whole story. But Jesus feeds 5,000 men, not counting women and children. He does it miraculously. And at the end of that story, the Bible says that that the people that were there that saw the miracle, they said, surely this is the prophet, the, the prophet that is to come. What does that mean? Well, Acts 3.22 says that Moses had told the people that there will be a prophet that will rise up from among you and he will be like me. But he is the one that you really need to listen to. That's what he says. Paraphrase. Acts 3.22, there it is. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. And the, after Jesus fed people with bread, the 5,000, he fed them. They all looked at each other and they said, this is it. This is the prophet. And so the Bible says that they were getting ready to take Jesus and make him king. They're like, man, this dude is going places. This is the prophet. This is like Moses. And so weird, Jesus... Knows this, he doesn't want to be made king. So Jesus goes up on a mountain without his disciples, and all the five thousand people just let him go up on the mountain. Some some say it's roughly about fifteen thousand people when you count the women and the kids. They let him go up on the mountain, but they don't go home. The Bible never says that they go home. It says that they stay over there. And so Jesus goes up on the mountain, and they let him, and they wait for him at the bottom. Why would they do that? Well, because if he's like Moses. After he feeds the people, he's going to have to go up on the mountain and hear from God and come down with a new, with a new covenant, with the new commandments. That's what happened when Moses went up there. He, he went up there, he talked to God, he came back down with these tablets of stone that God wrote on. And that's what's going to happen. He's going to come down. And so they they I think that it seems like they camped out around the mountain. And Jesus sent his disciples across the Jordan or uh, the, uh, across the Sea of Galilee, symbolizing the Jordan. They went across the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is up there by himself. Now, in the middle of the night, the disciples get into this, this this storm in the middle of the sea, and Jesus sneaks down off the mountain, probably like stepping through like sleeping people, you know. And, uh, and he walks on the water, just side note, to the boat. He gets in the boat, and they go to the other side. It's a miracle that happens, and the people don't see it. So they wake up in the morning, and they look up on this little hill, and Jesus isn't there. And the boat, that had already left they knew the boat had left they knew the disciples there was no way for Jesus to get to the other side and so they started asking each other have you seen Jesus where where did he go and so they rented boats and went to the other side they figured they'd go ask the disciples and when they showed up they found Jesus and the disciples and their first question to Jesus was how did you get here that makes sense and what Jesus says back to them I have have this scripture here in John chapter 6 Calls him out, and he says, "They they find him." Verse twenty-five. He says, "Rabbi, when did you come here?" Verse twenty-six. Jesus said, "He said, most surely I say to you that you're looking for me not because you saw the signs. In other words, not because you have put your faith in me, but because you ate bread and you were filled. And now it's breakfast, and you're wondering what I'm going to do for breakfast." Verse 27, he says, Do not labor for food that perishes, but for food that endures to everlasting life. The Son of Man will give you this because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, the age-old question, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? This is always the question that they would ask Moses. Moses comes down with new rules. What should we do? Moses says, Here you go. There's ten things. Ten rules. Do. Don't do this. Do that. Don't do that. Awesome. Okay, Jesus, you were up on the mountain, you came down, what should we do? Jesus says, Well, I have one work for you. Verse 29 The work is that you believe in me. The same word, believe, is used in Hebrews. I want you to rest in me, I want you to trust in me. Therefore, they said to him, Well, what sign are you going to perform? that we may see it and believe. What work will you do? Look look what they said. They said, our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're talking about Moses, which Jesus says in verse 32. He says, Moses, surely I say to you, Moses didn't actually give you that bread. So they're comparing Jesus to Moses. And they said, okay, if you're like Moses, then you're going to do something for us. And that something is gonna make us realize that we need you. Right? We 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 believe in you, we trust in you, we rest in you, absolutely, but you're gonna to have to get us some breakfast. You know, like 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 we're we're hungry again. We ate yesterday, we're hungry again today, we need something. And then we'll we'll need you, we'll we'll believe in you, we'll rest in you. That's exactly what we do today. We come to God and we're like, God, I need you to. To fix this or do this or arrange that. And then I'll need you because you're getting me what I need. It's like it's like they saw Jesus just like Moses. Moses was the distributor, right? He was the middleman. God's up here, people down here. Moses is the middleman. Moses is the distributor. Moses is the one who brought them the product that they needed. He pointed, he was a pointer. He pointed to the bread and said, Hey guys, that's manna right there, come eat it. But Jesus says, no, 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 here's the deal. Moses didn't act. Moses was not the source. He was just the distributor. He was just the pointer. I am the source. I am the manna. This is what he says in verse 32. He says, I am the bread, the true bread that has come down from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He says, look, I'm not the pointer. I'm not the guy who, who, who gives you the hookup. I am the hookup like I am the I am the I'm the up to your hook like this is how it works like I'm not the candy store I'm the candy you know I'm, I'm not the distributor I am the product I'm the one Moses was pointing to I'm the one Moses was telling you about it's me I'm the one who was on the mountain I don't have to go up the mountain to get news for you I am the news I am the word I am the command believe in me trust in me this is the dominant human tendency. We always need something else. We're like, yeah, Jesus is good. Jesus is great. But, you know, I think what's really going to make me happy is if Jesus gets me a girlfriend. Or if Jesus gets me a spouse. Or if Jesus gets me a raise. Or if Jesus gets me a different job. Or if Jesus, Lord, Lord, if you could just, if, if you, could just you know, arrange some things in my family, that'd be great. That, that would make me happy. If my family was was set, then I would be happy. And so you can be the distributor of happiness, and you can, you can arrange things and make me happy. You can give me a raise and make me happy. You can get me a new house, a new job, a new car. And you, by doing that, I'll trust in you. But what Jesus is saying right here, he said, no, I'm not going to do any works for you. I'm not going to feed you anymore. I fed you once, and that was to show you who I am. But now you're going to have to feed on me. And this is where many people go, uh think i'm up for that jesus is the manna he is the bread and if you read the old testament you find that the manna was laying on the ground and people had to go out and grab it and they had to grab it and put it in a little bucket and they could only take enough for one day because it was only good enough for one day and so they had to go out the next morning and grab it and eat it and it's all they had by the way and the Bible says that that piece of bread it actually had all the nutrition that they needed. Like it supernaturally had all the nutrition, all the protein, all the sugar, all the carbs, all the salt. Mm, you need sugar. Do you need dairy? You need you need cheese. You need a little pizza. Like it had everything that they needed inside of that piece of bread. <laughs> and so they get hungry. Well, they eat on. They take a bite. Have some. Let's, let's go back to that manna. Lunch time comes, we go back to the manna. Dinner time comes, we go back to the manna. Midnight snack comes, somebody. We go back to the manna. Get manna manna burgers, manna waffles. Get manna cereal for the late night snack. Cocoa manna. It'd be great. This manna. It It was the only thing they had, but it was the only thing they needed. And that's what Jesus says that he is. He says, I'm the only thing that I'm offering and I'm the only thing that you need. The dominant human tendency is to use Jesus to get the things that we think we need. <laughs> but the thing about faith, the thing about trust, the thing about resting is isolating everything else and putting Jesus at the center and saying, He is the only thing that I need. And so I'm going to rest, lean on, trust in Him. Not trust in Him to get me other stuff that I need, <laughs> not trust in Him to do other things that are going to but no just 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 him and when I get hungry I can go to him and when I get thirsty I can go to him and when I get lonely I can go to him and when I get sad and when I get mournful about what I've lost and what I never had and what I can't seem to I can go to him because he is all that I need you'll never be satisfied in Jesus until you're satisfied with Jesus it's just the bottom line and if christianity is your means to get other stuff you might get some other stuff but it's not going to satisfy and then you're going to want some more stuff and then you're just going to wonder why christianity doesn't work why jesus doesn't work that this is why the focus on activity is so pointless Focusing on activities is oftentimes pointless. This is why in the book of Hebrews, he says, I want you to believe. The work of God is to believe. Uh, uh, Here, we believe in tithing. We believe in the principle of tithing. We believe that tithing is blessed by God. Tithing means you give 10% of everything you make to God. And I've been doing that since I was like 10 years old. And I've seen God bless my life because of it. But God doesn't bless the activity of tithing. God blesses the principle of tithing. You say, well, what's what's the big difference? Well, the difference is tithing is meant to uh, have you get rid of some of your funds so that you rely on God. That's the point. (laughs) It's not a magic number. It's like you give God this and then you get stuff. That's not what it is. So the deal is you can do the activity of tithing. You can give to God. But if you don't rest in him, if you don't trust him, It doesn't work. God doesn't bless your finances because God doesn't bless what's not resting on him. He blesses what is resting on him. And in the same token, you might not uh, be able to afford to tithe. You might be so far in debt that you can't give to God. And I think for some of you, the best thing to do is to pay people money you told them that you would pay them and live a little bit differently, a little bit better, make better choices so that you can give to God. But God can still see that heart that is resting on him. It's about resting. What are the works? What are the works we should do? What are the things we should do? I gotta gotta get my list. I gotta gotta do things. No, no, no. You need to rest on him. Not on your works. Not on your ability to follow some rules. But on Jesus. My grandpa um, was a proud man. I was telling somebody just today about about my dad's family. Um, My mom and dad were the first ones to get get saved, become Christians in their family. Um, and uh, they both grew up in, in relatively uh, morally decent homes. Um, they lived in the same street, and they met when they were kids, and dad used to tease mom all the time. And for all you little girls, that means he likes you. i <laughs> cluing you in. Uh, so anyway, they ended up dating, I think, sixth grade or seventh grade or something high school sweethearts and then they got married and they're still married today Uh, they've been married for uh, 95 years i think Um, (laughs) just kidding i forgot their anniversary last month and so that's that's a little guilt coming coming your way um but one one of the things that happened is shortly after they were married um they were introduced to jesus and they had been introduced to him as a as kids they'd gone to this this neighborhood church but um they had some friends that really introduced them to Jesus. They went to church, and they decided to give their lives to Christ. And, and honestly, that's why I'm here today, because my parents decided to follow Jesus. Before I was even born, I was, Mom was like pregnant for me. And, and so like two weeks after I was born, dude, I was in church, and I never got out. Like I, I just slept under the pews, and I snuck out to come down to Texas to plant this church. So uh, that's kind of how that went. Um, but my parents' families uh, had different reactions, you know. And uh, my mom's family actually was very receptive, and many of them got saved. And uh, but my, but my dad's family not so much. My dad's family were very, um, very good people, very moral people. They're they're just kind of country folk. So they believe, you know, their doctrine, their theology is is uh, you got to have boots, you have to have <laughs> cigarettes, and uh, let's see, country music. Yep, pretty much that's it. Those are the three things to get you to heaven. Uh, a little bit of alcohol doesn't hurt either. Um, that's kind of my dad's family. And so they thought my mom and dad were kind of goofy, kind of crazy. You know, why do you go? Why are you going to church? You don't need you're a good person. You don't really need all that. And so I really, you know, I grew up um, not knowing many of my extended family. Uh, but we always stayed connected to grandpa and grandma. My parents were very emphatic about that. And so one day I, I was 16, we got a phone call that my grandpa had been rushed to the ER and he had a massive, uh, a lump in his chest from, uh, lung cancer. It was the size of a melon and he'd been smoking just all of his life and, um, and they didn't know they they didn't know what was happening. So grandma called, and grandpa was uh, I think he's around 70 at that age. And so we 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 drove to the ER, and grandpa had I think he was out he was unconscious at that point. And so um, you know it's, it's 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 difficult. We didn't expect it; it just kind of happened. And we're sitting there with grandma, we're praying for grandpa, and and all the family comes in, several of whom I've never met before. I'm like, oh, you're my cousin. Hello, good to meet you. Um, and uh, it, that was kind of cool. And our church family really gathered around us and gathered around the family and really reached out to them.
1: And um, we were in the
0: hospital for like three days. And, you know, you sleep in the hospital. Like you just, those nasty, uncomfortable chairs that, uh, anyway, you, you sleep there and you just wait and see and pray and wait and see. And Grandpa uh, was unconscious. He was in this coma. Didn't know if he'd ever come out. And so on the third day, a friend of mine, I was 16, a friend of mine was having a birthday party. And somebody said, "Hey, Harry and your brother, how about you guys just go be teenagers for a, you know a couple hours and go bowling? And uh, that's what white people do. And um, uh, it's a sport. It is a sport. <laughs> uh, anyway, so you know, go bowling, hang out, and just have fun. And come back. You know, nothing's changing. Nothing's happening. So we went away, and wouldn't you know it? While we we're gone, uh, Grandpa comes back. Like he he he, he wakes up, and um, kind of gave everybody." except us. Kind of gave everybody a chance to say their goodbyes, you know, and um, say what they wanted to say. And so my dad was talking to Grandpa, and my dad said, you know, Dad, are you, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Do you know you're going to be in heaven? And Grandpa said, no. And actually, it was pretty, that was pretty bold, because several of the family members were really ticked at my dad for even suggesting that Eldon would not be in heaven, because he was such a good, good person, you know. And somebody even said, oh, he's definitely going to be like they're having an argument and dad's just like no i'm just talking you know to my dad and so eldon says no i don't and so dad leads eldon my grandpa in a prayer to receive jesus and you say well what, what's 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 so powerful about that moment i mean what's what's one prayer in a life of not following jesus this is what happened in that one prayer Eldon took his faith and his trust from his own morals and his life and good things that he did and he moved it to Jesus. Because when he was laying on his deathbed and he was looking into eternity, he didn't know that all that other stuff was really that strong. And so he moved his rest. He decided to rest on Jesus. Like the thief on the cross, like just before the end of his life, he decides to rest on Jesus. And that slipped away and he died that afternoon before we got back and and uh i i was fine with that i was thrilled that my dad got to talk to him and lead him to christ but that's what we do here every single sunday you don't have to wait till your deathbed to put your trust in jesus and in fact, some of you have put your trust in Jesus, and other stuff came in front of your eyes, and you were like, "Ooh, that's really important too," and you got distracted, and you started looking over at other things. And it's time to put your rest and your trust back in Jesus. And you know you're not at rest when you're constantly having to prove, constantly having to do, constantly having to 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 align and to make and to get it right. No, that's a, you're not resting. You're not trusting. So this is my altar call for you today. Do you want to trust in Jesus? Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes for just a moment. I'm going to give you just two minutes to, to pray this prayer with me. And if you're wanting to trust in Jesus today, I want you to raise your hand and just tell me that you're making that decision and you're, you're putting your faith in him, you're taking it off of other stuff, maybe stuff that has gotten in the way. And also, at the same time, you're, you're, you're alienating every other desire only desire is for Christ.